Hi, and welcome to the Church Unlimited podcast. Church Unlimited is a vibrant, Bible-based church in North Lakes, Queensland that is passionate about helping people discover the genuine love of Jesus. If you are currently looking for a new home church, we'd love for you to join us for Sunday worship at either our 10 a.m. or 4 p.m. service. For more information about our Sunday service or to find out how we can best help you, head to our website at churchunlimited.com.au. We hope you enjoy this great message from Sunday service. It is such a privilege uh, to be sharing the word with you this morning. Happy Mother's Day to all our mothers. I had a lovely morning this morning. I feel like my kids have just gotten to that age where they can, you know, write cards and be sweet and hilarious. And it's one of those moments where uh, before you become a mum, you have these expectations and uh, an expectation that you have is for those sweet moments, those beautiful moments where you just love your kids and they love you back. Uh, but you know, before you become a mum, you have other expectations as well. Plenty of people uh, are going to tell you how hard it is as well, which is good. They're helping you have realistic expectations. And you know that uh, being a mum is going to be hard work. And so I've had that. I've had high moments with my kids. I've had low moments for sure, uh, where I'm just super tired and it's a hard slog. But you know, there's this one expectation that I wasn't quite ready for with parenthood. I guess if I'd thought about it, I would realise that this would happen. But I just feel like I'm still adjusting to the constant disruption. (laughs) Yep, everyone goes, oh, yes, we understand. If you have little kids, you understand uh, that there is just a constant disruption. And it doesn't matter how well you have prepped an activity for your kids, doesn't matter how happy they are or how full their tummies are, as soon as you sit down with your cup of tea, there's always that moment where you hear, Mom! oh, what now? Harry's on my desk or something like that and he traced up the stairs and there I find my two-year-old with fists full of text pens standing on a desk somewhere with a, like a psychotic look on his face and you're just like, how? This disruption, it just, it's constant. You were just constantly disrupted. And you know what? I am encouraged when I look at the accounts of Jesus. When you look at the stories of Jesus in the Bible, one thing that you see about the life of Jesus is that there is perhaps no one who was more frequently disrupted. Think about it. Wherever he went, he was constantly interrupted. People were constantly asking him questions. People were constantly wanting his attention. You know, he's busy preaching to 5,000 people, preaching his heart out about the love of God and what it means. And then the disciple taps him on the shoulder and goes, um, Jesus, we're hungry. Everyone's really hungry. Can you get us some food, please? And he's like, oh, okay. And then another time Jesus is asleep in a boat having a rest. He's exhausted. He's been preaching. He's been healing. He just wants a rest. And then he gets shaken awake by his friends saying, ah, we're freaking out, Jesus. There's a storm. Um, Could you please calm it, please? And he's like, okay, all right, I can do that. Another time he's on his way to heal the daughter of of a Jewish leader. 
and they would have been in a rush. He would have been wanting to get there quickly and he's pushing through the crowd and then he literally feels someone tugging on his clothing and it's a woman reaching out for healing, desperate for healing and he feels that power go out of him and he's disrupted once more. And so I want to encourage you mums this morning or parents this morning or really anyone that when you are being disrupted, that when your kids are climbing all over you, when they are asking you questions, when they are interrupting you, you are so like Jesus in that moment, okay? So next time that happens, just be like, I am Christ-like right now. This is me. I am, I am just sensing all of this Jesus energy coming out of me right now, okay? But I want to preach to you this morning about a time when Jesus was disrupted, just one time. And you know, this was quite an unusual disruption It was unexpected, but it was profound and it was powerful. And we can find it in the story of Luke chapter 7, verses 36 to 39. And this passage is entitled, Jesus Anointed by a Sinful Woman. And this is what it says. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who was touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. I want you to put yourself at this party for a moment. It would have been crowded in those times, even when someone was invited to to the home um, to eat. Actually, locals were kind of allowed to come in and stand around the outside and watch. Bit weird. Imagine having someone over for dinner and your neighbours just come (laughs) kind of just watch what you're doing. But that's what happened. There was a a crowd there and Jesus is reclining. Back in those days, they like lie down while they eat. No, I won't do it. They lie down while they eat and eat. So he's got his feet up. He's reclining. There's chatter all around. And then all of a sudden, everyone kind of stops and is like, is that crying I hear? Is that crying? And then Jesus looks down and his feet are getting wet. And he looks at this woman going, Wow, she's weeping. There's tears all over my feet right now. That would have caused quite a disruption to the party. And you know, that alone is a disruption. But then this woman takes out her hair. And in those times, Jewish women didn't take their hair out in public. So everyone would have gone, hair. Oh, we see that woman's hair. Oh, my gosh. And then the next thing she does was pull out this jar of perfume. And this jar is no cheap pharmacy brand fragrance. This jar is worth a year's wages. It's in a precious jar and she cracks it open. Just to put yourself there in that moment. Jesus, he's, he's trying to just have a nice meal with some friends. He's trying to just talk to people. And yet this disruption happens. I think all eyes would have just been fixed on that moment, all heads would have swiveled and looked at what was going on. And you know, the disruption, it wasn't just about what this woman did, but it was also about who she was. What she did was weird and interrupted everything. 
but it was more about who she was. You know, the story describes her as a woman in that town who had lived a sinful life. You know, it's thought that she's Mary Magdalene, although it doesn't explicitly say Mary Magdalene's a prostitute. And it doesn't say that it's her, but that's what most Bible scholars believe, is that this is Mary Magdalene. But all we really know for sure about her is that she knew and everyone else knew that she was a broken person. If your description in the Bible is that you're a sinful woman, if that's how you get described in the Bible, then it is pretty clear that you have a reputation in that community and it's not a good reputation in that community. I mean, look at what the Pharisee, what the host thinks in his mind when he sees this, if Jesus really knew what kind of woman was touching him. You know, the message is very clear. She's broken and she's not welcome. And their culture just had no time for broken things. You know, if I'm really honest, I actually don't really like broken things either. I'm the type of person that, you know, if a button falls off or a hem breaks, I have this chair that I put it on, planning that maybe one day I'll get around to fixing it. Everyone has that chair, don't they? You kind of think, oh, yep, I'll fix that. You know, I'm, I'm not wasteful, I'll fix it. And it sits there. And eventually, what do you do? You turf it. You replace it. Well, I do anyway. It's the same, like if you've got little kids, there are broken things everywhere, isn't there? You get these toys and somehow they multiply and there's little pieces everywhere. And I think once upon a time, I probably tried to like collect them and put them back and fix them. But now, no, Ruth, I don't have time for that. I am ruthless. If that, if I don't know where it, I don't know where it comes from, it's going in the bin. We get rid of all little pieces of plastic in our house. And uh, maybe you're looking at me and thinking, oh, that's, that is very wasteful. In my day and age, if something was broken, you fixed it. How many people are thinking that? You know, it, we used to fix things. And it's true. Back in the day, people did fix things. My mum had a stick blender, you know, like a bar mix stick blender that she got for her engagement party, okay? And 30 years later this stick blender starts smoking while she's using it. And she called the company and they said, yes, send it to us, we'll fix it for free under warranty and send it back. <laughs> yeah, I know, <laughs> like there is no way that would happen these days. Hey, you buy some kind of new appliance and if it breaks in that first year, what, what does the company do? They're like, oh yeah, send it back or throw it out, we'll send you a new one. That's what they do. And I think, you know, it's those situations that reinforce the message to us that something is, if something's broken, get rid of it. If something's damaged, replace it. You know, we see it in our stuff, but we also see it in the way we treat people. In our culture, it's sad, but it's true. But when relationships break down, the tendency is to walk away and find a new one rather than work on reconciliation. You know, we as a society we, and as individuals, we just don't like brokenness. We aren't fans of damage or pain or failure or struggle. We much prefer success and happiness and comfort and having it all together. But that's a bit of a problem because if we were to be completely honest, we are all a little bit broken. The world is full of people with broken hearts, broken spirits and broken relationships. And I know that's a bit of a depressing thing for me to come up here and, to, and preach to you about this morning, but James said the same thing. There's barrenness 
There's barrenness in our lives. There's areas of brokenness. There's things that aren't right in our lives. And we all experience it. And plenty of people are really obvious with their brokenness. I see it all the time. I work in a job where I see, you know, the people from the public come in all day, every day. And some people, they wear their brokenness super obvious. You meet them and it's like they're wearing a like high-vis jacket that says, I am bitter, I am angry, I have been hurt, I have been disappointed, I do not like life, I'm broken, deal with it. And you meet them and you're like, whoa, okay, there are you are broken. But most people, me included, are a little bit more private with our brokenness. You know, instead of a high-vis jacket that we wear, it's kind of more like our undies hidden away. And my brokenness is, well, broken undies. That, uh, didn't, think through, didn't think through this before I uh, started talking about it. But, you know, we hide it away on the inside for no one else to see, except maybe the people closest to us. You know, they might get to see it every now and then. But for most people, you don't see it. And I get it. It's uncomfortable. I don't want to see your undies. Okay? <laughs> Good to know. I don't want to see your undies. I don't want you to see my undies. I'd be quite happy if we don't see each other's undies, okay? And so we dress ourselves with the appearance that everything is fine. Uh, there's nothing broken about me. There is nothing imperfect about me. There is nothing uh, disappointing about me that no one has ever hurt me. I'm all good. And we strive to keep up that facade. And you know, while we might be uncomfortable with it, I'm so glad that we have a God in heaven who's not scared or avoidant of brokenness like we are. You know, quite the opposite. God sent Jesus straight into the midst of our broken world and dealt with it head on. You know, Jesus took that mission seriously and he surrounded himself with the sick, with the poor, with the oppressed and the broken. He didn't shy away or wait for them to get their lives together before he would interact with them. And that is what makes this disruption of Jesus being anointed by the sinful woman so powerful. Because Jesus says to the people around him, wait, while this isn't really a disruption, you might be uncomfortable with this. You might be feeling really awkward right now, but I'm not. You know, there's actually beauty in this woman's brokenness. And he explains it like this. The story goes on. So we continue on in Luke chapter 7 from verse 40, and it says, Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. And I'm just going to pause there and make a side note that how crazy was it that Jesus answered Simon's thoughts? It said Simon thought in his heart if Jesus knew who this was, and Jesus answers his thoughts. That's just a bit incredible. I was like, whoa, it definitely would have got his attention. And Simon says, tell me, teacher, And Jesus says, two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? And Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You didn't give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, 
but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. You know, Jesus explains this disruption. He explains this extravagant display of love that they're all witnessing as this woman really getting how much God has done for her and how much she needs Jesus. You know, the greatest need for Jesus leads to the greatest worship of him. And I think it's the same for us. We too can find beauty in the midst of our brokenness when it causes us to realise how much we need Jesus. You know, without that realisation, brokenness is just that, brokenness. But when we realise that day by day, hour by hour, minute by minute, we really need Jesus, that's when the grace of God, his love and his mercy and his kindness and his power is able to come in and forgive us and transform us and shape us into something new and something beautiful. And so from this story, I just want to share with you three characteristics of people who really know they need Jesus. And the first is this, people who know they need Jesus, number one, they approach instead of avoid. It is interesting that Mary came to Jesus because culturally it wasn't appropriate for a woman to just approach him the way that she did, especially not that woman. You know, and she knew it and everyone knew it, but she came anyway because she had this need and her need caused her to come to Jesus. The need was greater than any hesitation that she had in staying away. It reminds me of the story of the prodigal son. You might know it, where Jesus tells the story about a son who takes his inheritance and he goes off and he wastes it and he makes stupid decisions and he makes a mess of his life and he's broken and it's all his fault. It's not even like anything has anyone else has done this to him. He's done it to himself. He is broken. He is messed up. And then he thinks, you know what? I'm going to come back to my father and what does the father do? The father runs to him and welcomes him in. And, you know, this point sounds kind of simplistic, right? Like, come to Jesus. Duh, we're in church. Of course, of course, we are meant to come to Jesus. But it goes against our instincts to come to someone who we might be accountable to. You know, you see it with your kids, don't you? What happens when your kids are up to mischief? The house goes very quiet. And you think, Penny, Oscar, no answer. And then you have to go searching for them and you find them there looking guilty. And, we, and kids do it and we do it too. You know, we want to avoid. We are chronic avoiders, especially in our culture. We just go, you know what? I'm going to numb this need with something else. Instead of coming to Jesus, I'll just numb it with streaming some Netflix having a glass of wine when I get home from work. I'm going to numb this instead of approaching Jesus. But when you admit you need Jesus, you can just be honest and reach out to him sincerely and desperately. You know, denial over your issues, it just keeps Jesus at arm's length. You know, I've got this Jesus. But instead, let's be prodigals that just return to him and just come back to him. You know, God's word encourages us 
to draw near to God. Hebrews 4.16 says, Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in times of need. You know, my challenge to myself is that when I realise there's something broken in me, and it's just a matter of being honest and saying, you know what, that thing that person said, it did kind of hurt me. Or I really screwed up today. I lost my temper at the kids and I just, I'm a bit of a failure as a mum right now. Or I'm feeling anxious and I just, I can't get it all together. Or maybe it's just being honest about something that maybe you have suppressed deep down. You know, something from your childhood or your past that where there's grief or pain. I want to use those moments, not as reasons to stay away from God, but as reminders of how much I need Jesus and and as a reason to once again get before God, to make it my default setting to approach him. And that might be something as simple as just, you know, instead of turning on Netflix, putting on some worship music, instead of just scrolling my phone, opening my Bible, instead of going, oh, sleep in on Sunday morning, coming to church, just making that decision that I'm going to continually approach the throne of grace. I'm going to continually approach God and find help in my time of need not to run away and bury things, but just to come to Jesus and to just pray and say, look at this need, look at this brokenness. I don't even really know what to do with it right now, but just look at it, Jesus, what are we going to do with it? And so that takes me to my second point, which is people who know, know they need Jesus, they offer up instead of conceal. You know, this woman, she recognized her need for Jesus and so she approached him But then she didn't just come to Jesus, she offered up three things. She offered up her money, a year's wages. That is a huge sacrifice. I want you to think right now about your annual salary, okay? Some people might be on real big money in here, or maybe you're not on a huge salary, but think about a year's wages. And think about what you could buy with a year's wages. You could buy some good stuff with a whole year's salary, right? So this is a huge sacrifice. This is a huge offering that she is giving to Jesus in this moment. The other thing she offers up is her pride. That humiliation of coming into a room where you know everyone disrespects you, everyone looks down on you. And not only are you just entering in that place, but there you are wiping dirty feet with your hair. You know, you're down on your knees, weeping, and, you're, and she's offering up her pride. And she offers up her emotion. You know, she's vulnerable before God. She doesn't just bring the jar to the party. She breaks it open. She reveals it, what's inside. You know, there's a story in the Bible, in Matthew 12, of a man with a withered hand. And I imagine this man with this withered hand spent most days with it concealed, spent most days with it kind of tucked away. You know, maybe he was born with it, maybe he'd had an accident, but I imagine he was probably a bit embarrassed about having a withered hand and tried to hide it away from the prying eyes of people around him. And he'd probably learned to compensate quite well with his other hand and was getting by okay. And then Jesus comes into the temple and Jesus wants to heal him. And what does Jesus say to him? He says, reach out your hand. And this man has to expose this withered hand that he's been hiding away. He has to reach it out to Jesus so that everyone can see it. And in that moment, Jesus heals his deformity. 
Jesus asks this man to reach out, to offer it up, to expose it so that, and bring it out into the open so that he can heal it. And I think he's asking the same of you and me. We need to take the thing that's crippled in our lives and actually offer it up to Jesus. You know, Pastor Paula preached a couple of weeks ago about surrendering to Jesus. And there's, this dif- there's a difference between approaching Jesus and surrendering. You know, you can pray and still not really surrender. You can be in church, in the worship, but still not really worshipping. You can be in a small group. Who has been in a small group where you say, does anyone have any prayer needs? And it's crickets. Every time, (laughs) and and, because no one wants to really offer anything up, you're there, you're present, but you actually are you actually surrendered? Are you actually giving yourself? Are you actually letting those walls come down and actually really offering up to Jesus what is in you that's broken? Knowing that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, Romans 8 says there's no condemnation, but we need to be willing to offer it up. 1 John 1, 9, I believe it is, says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Jesus can forgive sins. Jesus can purify you. Jesus can heal you. But it, it stems on us confessing that there's this moment where we need to get honest and we need to get real. You know, Jesus is a bit of a gentleman, He's not going to take from us what we're not offering up. He's not going to pry your hands open. He's waiting for you to give it to him. And so it may look just like confessing your sin and actually being vulnerable in those moments of prayer. It may look like getting out of your comfort zone and really worshipping God with everything that you've got. It may look like finding trusted people in your lives that you can say, can you walk with me? Can you hold me accountable? Because I keep stuffing up and I keep looking at the wrong things and I keep losing my temper at my kids and I keep doing these things and I need someone to walk with me and that I can be real with, that I can be honest with, that I can really surrender this to God, but also walk with someone through this. The final thing that we see about people who know they need Jesus is that they glorify God instead of themselves. You know, in this moment, in this disruption at the party, it is definitely not the woman who is getting the glory. And do you know how I know that? It's because I'm a crier. Okay, if you've known me for a hot minute, you've probably seen me cry, and I hate it. Um, Cry at the drop of a hat, and it really annoys me because it's so embarrassing. Like, you're just trying to be a regular human being, trying to have this conversation, and you're welling up, and it's streaming, and you've got the panda eyes, and you just feel like an idiot, and it's not a dignified look, okay? It is not a moment where you feel like, oh, look at me, I'm so great. Definitely not. And this woman in that moment, it is not about her. This moment is not about her, but it is about Jesus. It was purely about Jesus. Her tears, her hair wiping his feet, the expensive perfume was a display of adoration that glorified Jesus and brought him honour. It brought attention to him and what he had done for her. 
You know, people who know they need Jesus are the first ones to glorify God for everything he's done and is doing in their lives. They know that it's God's grace and not our works that saves us. They know that it's when we come to God with all our insufficiencies that it's his grace that is sufficient for us. You know, I want my testimony and my perspective to always be that anything good you see in my life, it's really not that I'm that good. It's that God is good. You know, this church is amazing. We have an amazing building. We have amazing ministries. We have amazing people. And James and Paul, I think, are the first people that will admit that they're pretty good. They're pretty good, but they're not that good. It's because God is good. It's because God's hand is on them. It's because God's hand is on our church that he has graced us, that he's given us this blessing and this favour. It's because God is good. You know, when Jesus is glorified, people are impacted. You know, this woman, when she broke that jar open, that smell would have filled the room. Would have been like walking into dusk, you know, where it's just like, whoa. That smell would have filled the room and everyone noticed. And when Jesus was lifting up, lifted up, people looked to him. It was because of her act of worship and her act of glorifying Jesus that they started asking him these questions about, oh, who is this man that forgives sins? Who is this Jesus? And so for us, when we glorify God, when people look to us and we say, you know what, everything you see in my life is because God is good, not only does that glorify him, but it also impacts the people around us. That when we glorify God, more people will realise that they need Jesus too. That they want that, that act of worship in their lives too. That they have a need in their hearts too. That they need to bring to Jesus. Let's be a church that is a pleasant aroma for people around us. Too many Christians are stinky Christians full of judgment and condemnation that people don't, they're a bad smell. People don't want them in the room. People are like, no, get out of here, you stinky Christian. We don't want you. But let's be Christians whose lives are a pleasing aroma that we, we glorify God and people want it. They're like, that smells nice and I want to know what that is. You know, I'm reading a book at the moment by a woman named Catherine Wolfe, it's her story. And she, at 26 years old, with a six-month-old baby, had a massive stroke, almost died, was in hospital, spent years recovering. And now, as a, as a young mum, she you know, is in a wheelchair, she's got a droopy face. There's evidence that her life has had this major catastrophic moment. There's so much visible evidence that she's broken. Her body is physically broken. And yet her ministry now is called Hope Heals and she brings hope to families of disability and she brings hope to people who think, I don't don't know if Jesus sees me or if he loves me. And yet she says that this moment of brokenness that she would never wish on anyone, that she wouldn't want other people to have to go through, it's what has allowed God to be glorified most in her life. It is what has allowed her to bring the good news of Jesus to more people than she ever imagined. 
You know, it's pretty amazing what people can say on the other side of their brokenness, that when they've glorified God, that he's used it to create a life that is something even better than what they expected. That's the great hope that we have, isn't it, as Christians, that when we have broken lives, that God works all those broken things together for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. And so I want you today to not just think, oh, okay, it's okay that I'm broken. It's okay that I'm not perfect. I want you to have hope that you don't have to stay like that, that Jesus doesn't leave you that way. He doesn't want you to stay broken. He wants to use those broken pieces to build your life back into something that is better than what you were going to build for yourself. I think there's no better metaphor for this than the Japanese art of kintsugi. We have a photo of it coming up. I think. Maybe not. Oh, there it is. Okay, and this art form is when an artist takes a broken piece of pottery. And kintsugi means to mend with gold. And in this technique, the potter mends the bowl with a metallic-infused lacquer. And the artist takes no care to hide the cracks no attempt at concealing what has occurred. Instead, the crack is illuminated with gold and pieced together, not to be returned to its original state, but to be changed. And what results is different, but more stunning than the original. You know, in a moment, I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to pray that this is a picture of our lives, that we will start to admit our need for Jesus and just just start to approach God with it. Just start to approach Jesus with it. And that when we offer it up, when we truly surrender our need to Jesus and when we glorify him, when we praise him before it's even happened, you know, we praise him in the good times and we praise him in the bad. When we do these things, that that is a picture of our lives, that God will make our lives into something beautiful, that Jesus is in the process. He's in the business of, of making broken things beautiful. And so I'm going to pray that that is a reality in our lives this morning. But before I do, I just want to give opportunity because maybe there are people here who've never even come to Jesus for the first time. Or maybe you did a long time ago, but if you're really honest, you've turned away. And when I talk about approaching Jesus, you kind of say to yourself, if I was honest, I'm kind of facing the other way at the moment. I've never even turned to him. I want to give you a chance today just to make that choice, to turn your life to him, to choose to follow Jesus today. He might not mend everything immediately, but he will. As you come to him, he will work in your life. You will see him come in and heal you of your pain and forgive you of your sins. He will turn your life into something better than what you would have done on your own. And so I want to give an opportunity for anyone here who says, yep, that's me. I really want to start this journey of following Jesus. And while every head is bowed and every eye is closed, I just want to ask you that question. Is that you this morning? Do you say, yes, I need to respond to that. I need to take this step, this first step of faith to respond to the invitation that Jesus gives me. And if that's you, why don't you just lift your hand? I won't point you out. I won't make a big deal. But I want you just to do that physical act of responding. Is there anyone here who says, yes, that's me. I want to give my life to Jesus this morning. I'll see your hand. You can put it down. I saw that hand. 
Awesome. Is there anyone else who wants to give their life to God this morning? Awesome. Well, for that man that raised his hand, we're going to pray together right now. And our whole church is going to pray together at the same time. And I'm going to start and you'll repeat after me. And I just want you to mean these words. Dear Jesus, thank you that you came to this earth to meet us right where we are. Today, Jesus, I ask you to forgive my sins. Wash me clean and help me to follow you every day of my life. Make me brand new and let me glorify you in every moment. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Awesome. Well, why don't you stand to your feet? I just want to pray over you, church, before we worship. And that worship, I want it to be a sacrifice of praise. Like James said, sing, O barren woman. I want you to sacrifice your praise to God this morning, worshipping Him for all He is, glorifying Him for all He's already done, but already also what He is going to do in your life. So why don't I pray, God, we thank you that you are here this morning. I pray, Father, that your word will have touched our hearts. God, we thank you for every person here, that you love them, that you care about them. You care about every hair on their head. You care about everything that they are going through. And God, today I pray that you'll help us just to continually come to you, continually surrender to you, continually trust in you that you are good and that you are doing good things in our lives. God, we pray that we can glorify you and worship you in every moment, in the good times, in the mountaintops, but also in the hard. God, we live in this broken world, but we're not defined by that. We're defined by you and your love for us and what you are doing. And so Holy Spirit, we pray your power and your blessing on every person today. As they go into their weeks, let them know that you are with them, that you are filling them up, that you are empowering them, that you're giving them boldness and courage and joy like never before. In Jesus' same we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us. We hope that you enjoyed this message. We pray that you and your family are richly blessed by the love and grace of Jesus. If you're ever in the area, we would love for you to join us for Sunday worship.